live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good evening, everybody around the world, and I'm Rob Starr, along with the astute Mr. Chris Davey, and we are the hosts of the Water Zone Show. Thanks for joining us on a beautiful day out here in Arizona. I'm sure it's a beautiful day out in California. Is that right, Chris? It is gorgeous out here, buddy. It got to triple digits today, so, you know, everybody's got tank tops and shorts on. You're catching up to me over here. It was about 106 here today. Beautiful day, and uh, we had a little bit of rain uh, two days ago. Yeah. Uh, and it got really cool and nice, and uh, now it's back to the, the hot season, so we're we're doing that. So I guess you know it's 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 something that we should talk about because it's it's a thing that's going to happen. And what we've read today in our next guest uh, a blog about this possible 1,200 year old uh, heat wave that's coming and drought that's going to affect us. So let's bring her on the the province. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The principal of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Welcome, Chris. Hey, how you doing, guys? Doing great, Chris. Thanks. Rob, hey. new lip. No, the lemonade, the lemonade made, made, made my mouth dry. Lemonade, <laughs> lemonade. Is there salt on the rim of your lemonade? No, there isn't. After the show, after the show but not before or during. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Very no, well, welcome. Welcome, Chris. How uh, I hope you're doing all right. You're getting ready for the uh, long weekend, Fourth of July weekend. Yes, uh, we sure are. It's going to be a hot one, and you know they are really emphasizing down here in Southern California that they're going to be maximum enforcement, no fireworks. So you know we'll we'll uh, we'll see. There always is a bunch of fireworks in our neighborhood. We didn't realize it until we didn't go out to a fireworks display one year and actually, right. st- you know, stayed home. And then it was like, oh, my word, <laughs> look at all of this. Yeah. So um, hopefully people will listen. It's a really, really dry, bad year. and You do not need to be flowing flames around. Plus, some of these fireworks you can get now are very, very powerful, um, you know, almost the level that they use for displays. So they're really powerful explosives. People get hurt. So anyways, my my message is please, folks, especially down here in Southern California where fireworks are illegal, don't use them. Uh, go to a public display. Yeah. But, Chris, our, okay. our, town, our town has got uh, is continuing continuing on with their Fourth of July festivities, including the uh, fireworks presentation on Sunday. On Sunday night, are they doing the same up there in the um, Santa Clarita Valley, up where you live? Um, you know, I'm sure that they will do something, but I I have to be honest. I I'm not a big fireworks person. <laughs> I'm sure they'll have something up here, but you know, when you get to be my age, you're like, oh, fireworks. Yeah. Although they do have some very amazing fireworks these days, so they are yeah. quite amazing. But. No kidding! And you saw on the news where they found where the county of Los Angeles found all those illegal fireworks and blew them up in that containment truck, and it actually blew the containment truck to smithereens. Yeah. 
uh, article that was on Maven's notebook, by the way, uh, in the Daily Digest about the drought in the southwest. I mean, not just California, all of the south, southwest, right, the whole Colorado River Basin. Um, writing in that article that this could be the worst drought in 1,200 years. That's a statement. Or, or it could last. It could last. 1,200 years, I, I think, is what it was. Um, the, the exact headline, I have to go back and look. But, yeah, you know, the thing is that we, we tend to think, I think we humans tend to think of the Earth as being the static thing, and, and uh, it's not. Geology is, is not a, a finite thing. It's always this dynamic. It's moving. It's volcanoes. It's earthquakes. All sorts of things, and they have been able to do some studies through tree rings, uh, studying tree rings, and also through doing sediment cores that they can tell that actually these this last 150 years or so, when you know we were building our water systems here in the United States and you know growing this big population. Uh, that it is actually an abnormally wet period. And really, this part of the country, this part of the continent, is has experienced some very long and very deep droughts, droughts lasting hundreds of years. Now, it's also important to understand that, um, you know, when, we, when they talk about the hundreds or 300-year drought, it doesn't mean that it never, ever rained during those 300 years. Sometimes, in the middle of those drought years, they would get a really wet year because this this has just been part of the climate history of this part of the country, highly variable, um, lots of rain sometimes. And, um, so they might have a year where it's a flood year, but the overall mix of years is much is you know heavy heavily drought with a few you know punches of wet years in the middle every so often um and so if there's a lot of discussion that we may be already in uh one of these longer periods of drought that we're not going to see the precipitation you know like we used to and this is, you know, there's a lot of em- empirical evidence to sort of suggest this, uh, you know, that we're really moving into some uncharted territory. Like, for instance, they expected a certain amount of when they, you know, sn- of the snowpack to show up in the reservoirs as snowmelt this year. And they actually, what happened is it didn't show up, <laughs> which made things much worse. In terms of our water situation, um, now that model has all been calibrated, and they've used it for many, many years, and is sort of based on uh, history. What's happened in the past, and you know, like that's going to suggest what's going to happen in the future. But it was, it didn't happen. And uh, and another thing is, you know, look at these temperatures, uh, Portland. 112 degrees in Portland. I think they were actually saying at some point last week that 
Portland was going to be hotter than Palmdale, California. Palmdale's just up the road from me. We were having, you know, 108, 110 degrees here, but they were having, you know, similar uh, temperatures up in in, uh, Portland and in Seattle. And it's very dangerous up there because they don't have air conditioning in their houses. Uh, A lot of people flock to the hotels because they do. Hotels always do. But, um, you know, so it was hugely impactful for them. And if you actually look at the whole United States, the whole United States, like the last day or two, record temperatures all over the place. I mean, it, it, it's even in the midsection of the country, um, all over, we're talking 90, 100 degrees. And Canada had the highest, the highest temperature ever recorded in Canada. It was somewhere in British Columbia, 121 degrees in Canada. Well, see, that's that's, I mean, the problem. that's the problem with gover- governments getting bigger. They just have a lot of hot air in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, boy, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, these temperatures are, you know, not. You know, it has gotten really hot in the Pacific Northwest, but not like this. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens, how how this summer goes. It, it could be a really, really rough one. You know, the other impact that, that we have with the drought is the level in the reservoirs is low, the water level, and so that means, you know, hydropower is impacted because you only generate hydropower when you're releasing water from the reservoir. Yeah, so we'll um, go back. To, we'll go back to fossil fuel to generate. We're gonna have to. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's we're not gonna have much of a choice. So, and hydropower has always uh, provided a large amount of California's uh, power needs. So. You know, it's gonna. It could be a very, a very long and difficult summer, not only for California, but you know, all over the place. Yeah. So, well, that's I think, sort of, huh? Well, no, I was gonna say, you know, we only track weather, or, or we're we're only able to go back so far in history to to document what the temperatures have been and the weather conditions. But from from all the things I've read, I mean. These are cycles that happen, and we're, we're in one of those cycles at the time. Will it continue forever and ever? Probably not, but there's a, there's a lot of things that we need to do because this, this generation error is a lot smarter than it was 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, um, uh, and, and knowing what we need to do to preserve the water and how to, how to manage it better, and, and that's what you know, everybody talks about it. There's always stakeholder meetings and this and that and that and that. But everything seems to take so long to get in motion to make it happen. It's it's almost a shame that way. You know, we spend we spend time and money going through discussions, which is important to have and scientific ones. But it just seems that it takes forever and ever. Just like they want to build a, a new uh, a desal plant. You know, another 15, 17 years go by before they even start digging. I mean, those things got to change. So we can get on track to, to, to solving some of these problems and at least trying to survive. Because without the water, we all know what's going to happen. 
And without blue, there's no more green. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the thing is that the I think the larger issue that we have to confront is that we have some very old constructs in our legal system uh, that rely on, you know, they were perhaps appropriate for, you know, 1880, the 1900s, but they're not going to hold up in the 21st century, especially this idea of first in time, first in right. You know, I go back to the Colorado River, where one-fifth of the flow of the Colorado River goes to the Imperial Valley in California because they got the, they were one of the first, um, they were the largest water user on the river. Uh, they're not the first, but they're like the second or the third uh, to develop Colorado River water. And so they are, and, and they used an enormous amount. Now, they grow a lot of crops down in Imperial Valley, and in the wintertime, it's where a lot of our vegetables and salads are coming from. The weather is perfect in the middle of the winter to grow the kind of fruits and, and vegetables that we like to see. Um, in the summer, they, they have to go transition to more field crops that can tolerate the heat, so they're not they're not totally wasting water, although in the past a large portion of that water has landed up in the Salton Sea, which is another story for a whole nother show. Um, but so we have the Imperial Valley. They are entitled to a fifth of the flow of the Colorado River. More than that's more than Arizona gets. More <laughs> Las Vegas gets like two hundred thousand acre feet. They get like a teeny tiny fraction of that. Um, but it's more than any other state on the, the river. And as the flow of the Colorado River dwindles, how are we going to be able to survive with, you know, first in time, first in right, so it goes to the Imperial Valley? If it gets bad enough and it gets down to just the fifth of the water, then theoretically the Imperial Valley would get it, and Las Vegas and Arizona and everybody else just dries up. Um, I I think somewhere we're going to have to have a reckoning with our water rights system to to redistribute things equitably. But that's really difficult to do because you know farmers have made investments based on water they expect to have, and these are a type of property rights. And the government always has to be very careful to take rights away from citizens. And and I agree, we need due process. Due process is what takes a long time. Do you you think that, you know, I brought up a couple times before, but do you think we need water pipelines coming from the north and the east to come this way? You know, I, I don't think... Um, I, I don't think that's a viable option because um, the people in the north and the east don't want to send their water away. There was, boy, back when Schwarzenegger was uh, was the governor, there was, um, like, some comment made that they were going to send Great Lakes water to the southwest 
or something, and the people in the Great Lakes got so concerned about it that they actually passed a resolution in a number of the states surrounding it that they weren't going to let Great Lakes water go out of the area. Um, You know, I, I don't think it's a popular option, and as water supplies shrink for everybody, um, I, you know, I think we're going to need to find a way to, to deal with it uh, without these large, uh, inter, you know, intra-basin transfers of water. I think, you know, they're very controversial, and as supplies tighten, people in those areas supplying that water may find that they need that water themselves. That's true. So, That's true. But you uh, know, I I think we got to the we got to figure out how to live within our means, and our means are shrinking. So you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to figure out how to manage our water better, and you know, and how to you know be more efficient with our use. No, uh, you're absolutely you're absolutely right, Chris. It's it's going to be a difficult choice here down the road, and seeing what the different. Uh, States are going to talk to and the water rights all across the nation because that's that's going to be important. So, all right. Well, Chris, we appreciate you coming on today. We're we're up against our commercial break now, and and uh, we we do appreciate you coming on. And, and just for our listeners, please go to www.maidensnotebook.com and become a subscriber, even become a sponsor. It's a great way to get the latest in California news, and she covers a lot of other places besides that, but. She'll give you the, the straight-on information, all the legislative information that you need, and, and all the new developments that are happening. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. I want you to stay cool, and we'll talk to you next week. And have a happy 4th and safe 4th of July. Absolutely. Same to you all. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Hi, Chris. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be back in just a few moments with our featured guest. So stick around for the second half of the Water Zone. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yukaipa. They love you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. 
Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about eco-solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the Technical Service Hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the uh, Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Sarlon, this is Chris Davies, and we are the hosts. And uh, Chris, you know the old saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? You've heard that, right? I, I don't hear you. I know I the old saying. I'm well aware of it. Okay. Well, next guest, the next guest is going to tell us what happens in Vegas isn't going to happen in Vegas, isn't going to stay in Vegas, and that's about grass, turf. Right. So um, we have our old friend, um, Travis Loop, and he had grabbed somebody, not literally, over from Southern Nevada Water for the Conservation Department. And they got these new ideas of what they're going to do about turf grass in, in Nevada. And it seems like there's going to be a lot, a lot of changes. They're going through a lot of different things. And uh, it's going to be interesting because it fits right into what Chris was talking about with availability of water. So uh, let's go to Travis. And Travis, uh, take us to Southern Nevada going to talk about a very innovative action happening in the Las Vegas area where they are making a move to get rid of of lawns and non-traditional grass. So I am joined by Bronson Mack. He is public outreach manager with the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Bronson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for having me. Love to talk about water here in Southern Nevada because it really is an important topic for our community. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation a lot. So before we dive into what's going on with lawns and and grass out there, what's kind of the latest situation with the water supply in your area? I've seen a lot of the news stories about Lake Mead being at its lowest level since the Hoover Dam was built in the 30s. All the news about the supply in the Colorado River and the the basin being real tough. So what's going on there in in your neck of the woods in in the Las Vegas area? Well, Travis, here in Southern Nevada, the Colorado River uh, provides 90% of our water supply, and we access that water directly from Lake Mead. Um, We have the smallest slice of the Colorado River pie, if you will, as there are seven states as well as the country of Mexico that all share the Colorado River. So for us here in Southern Nevada, we get access to 300,000 acre feet of water. Uh, It is equal to about 1.8% of all of the water allocation between those seven states and the country of Mexico. So it's a very small amount of water that we get to support a population of 2.3 million people. 
Um, now, we do some very unique things with that water to help extend that water supply. Uh, for instance, all of our indoor water use here in Southern Nevada, anything that goes down the drain that you use indoors, it all gets reclaimed, treated to near drinking water standards, and then we safely return that water back to Lake Mead. And for every gallon that we can put back into Lake Mead, we can take another gallon out and bring it into the valley as treated drinking water. So with these shortages, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about allocations and, and what's going to have to happen, even cutbacks. I've seen stories in Arizona in particular. What's the situation that you're facing there? Well, we do fully expect that the federal government is going to declare a water shortage on the Colorado River uh, this year. Uh, we expect that shortage declaration to occur in August, and then it'll ultimately be implemented next year in 2022. What that means here for us in Southern Nevada is that we're going to have about 21,000 acre feet less water available to us. So our 300,000 acre foot allocation will get temporarily cut to 279,000 acre feet. Last year, water consumption was about 250 thousand acre feet. So we've got a little bit of headroom here, but again, it's just a a reaffirmation for us as to why we need to continue to advance our water conservation efforts and uh, and help this community to to continue to reduce its water use. So with that situation out there with with Lake Mead and and the news about the, you know kind of permanent drought almost what's how are the customers feeling how's the public feeling what's what's the reaction out there? Well, you know, we actually maintain a lot of communication uh, with the customers, with the public, helping them to understand that they really play a key role in the future water sustainability of our community. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Travis, that we have invested $1.4 billion in new infrastructure out in Lake Mead. This is for a new intake, intake number three, that sits on the bottom of the lake, as well as a low lake level pumping station that allows us to now pump the full elevation of Lake Mead, meaning that we can pull water from below what is known as the Deadpool elevation. And Deadpool is the point at which no water can pass through Hoover Dam. That means no power generation and no water getting through that dam to meet the downstream needs in Arizona, California, or Mexico. But here in Southern Nevada, because our community has made that investment in this infrastructure, we're going to have access to supplies. Now, <laughs> that $1.4 billion, yeah, that money didn't fall from the sky, right? That was all water rate payer dollars. It's locally funded. So our community has known now for at least the past 20 years that, number one, the drought is serious. Number two, they play a key role in helping ensure that we have a sustainable water supply and that we're conserving everything that we can. On top of that, Travis, we've got very robust conservation measures. This includes uh, watering restrictions, virtually irrigate their, their yards. Uh, if it grows in Southern Nevada and it's outdoors, then it's irrigated. And if it's irrigated, it's irrigated by our drinking water supply. So we really do have a lot of opportunity to communicate. We communicate with our customers seasonally as those watering restrictions change, as well as about water waste prevention, uh, because you can get some fines if you're wasting water. So with that, you know, our community has a good understanding of what the implications are if we aren't conserving water. So that's a great uh, setup for the, the recent news that 
you all are taking an action to ban, we'll call non-functional grass. You know, I think it's popped up in the news as lawns, right? People's residential lawns, lawns for commercial buildings, non-functional grass. Um, I'll let you explain it better than I. Um, why, why was it decided that that was an action that needed to be taken? And what are kind of the details there of, of what that all means, what that ban exactly is? Well, one thing to keep in mind when you think about Southern Nevada and you think about Las Vegas is that we are a relatively young city. Uh, we are a city that has really grown up around the service industry. Uh, we have, you know, obviously a lot of casinos, a lot of resorts in this valley. They provide a lot of economic opportunity. So regardless of what your education level is, your socioeconomic status, uh, people can come to Las Vegas. They can get a good paying job here. They can get a job with health insurance. They can raise their families and they can put their kids through school. One of the most affordable colleges in the West is right here at UNLV. So Las Vegas provides a lot of opportunity for people. Now, while Las Vegas is a young city, uh, it really was sort of developed as being kind of an oasis in the desert. So Early on, we saw a lot of grass installed in this valley. In fact, every single home in Southern Nevada installed prior to 2003 had grass, not only in the front yard, but also in the backyard. And I'm not talking about a little patch of grass. I'm talking about wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. Front yard, backyard, grass was the number one dominant landscape decision and landscape style that we saw in our residential community. Not only that, Travis, but we also see a lot of grass installed in our commercial developments. These are business parks, shopping centers, grocery stores, in the medians of our roadways. All of that used to be grass. Now, grass is obviously, we know, a, a big water user, a bit of a water hog. In fact, it takes about 73 gallons of water every single year per square foot of grass in order to keep it alive here in the Mojave. So we're talking about a considerable amount of water that gets dumped onto grass. Now, if we're using that grass, if we're out there playing you know, soccer on it, throwing the Frisbee, having a picnic on it, that's a grass that serves a function. But that grass that's in the medians, that's, that grass that's in front yards and that's at the shopping centers, nobody is walking on that grass except the individual that's pushing a lawnmower. So it is purely an aesthetic. And we know that there are a lot of other opportunities and a, a lot of other options that are more water efficient than grass. So the Southern Nevada Water Authority in the early 2000s implemented the Water Smart Landscape Program. And that program pays a cash incentive to property owners to replace that grass with water efficient or water smart landscaping. We're talking about going from spray irrigation that puts out gallons per minute to going to drip irrigation that puts out gallons per hour. And so that change is very significant because I just said 73 gallons a square foot for grass. When we look at water smart landscaping, you're looking at about 18 gallons per square foot per year. So about a 55 gallon saving per square foot per year. It is a huge water impact for us. On top of that, the outdoor water here in Southern Nevada is the water that we only get to use once. I talked a little bit about the fact that we recycle and reuse all of our indoor water supply, and that is critical. That stretches our water supply, stretches that water allocation, allows us to meet the water demands of this community. The water we're using outdoors, we're only using it once. 
Now, we agree that we need to have good, diverse landscaping in this valley. You know, the butterflies, the hummingbirds, the bees, they all need flowering plants and things like that in order to continue to survive. Changing that from grass landscaping to that water smart landscaping, it's a huge water savings for us. And so this new law that has been passed is really an effort to target that grass landscaping that is at those commercial properties. Not so much your residential front yards, because a lot of residents have already changed out their front yards to water smart landscaping. It's the, it's the commercial customers that have been lagging behind. And one of the reasons that they've been lagging behind, Travis, is that a lot of our commercial properties here in Southern Nevada are under different kinds of ownerships, layers of LLCs, owners that aren't necessarily here in Southern Nevada. They might be back East or they might be in the Midwest. And they're not necessarily connected to this community's conservation message and conservation ethic. And so this new law, AB 356, it's really going to spur those property owners that have really been derelict in getting rid of their grass and force them to uh, to make that decision now. Mm. Okay, that's a really big clarification to me, just kind of seeing headlines from afar, reading some of the stories. But this is really focused on driving that change at the commercial property level, less at the residential level, where there's been a lot of change underway already. A lot of people have already ditched trying to have grass at their house, huh? Yeah, absolutely they have. In fact, we've done some analysis and we've determined that we have about 5,000 acres of this non-functional decorative grass throughout the Las Vegas Valley. Now, of that 5,000 acres, about 1,000 resides in the single-family residential sector. So those are the front yards, about 1,000 acres still in front yards. That's 4,000 acres of non-functional grass that is at the shopping center, at the ice cream shop, that is at the dentist office, that is in the medians and along our streets that nobody is using. And that 4,000 acres of non-functional turf uses approximately 10% of our total water supply. Now, the Las Vegas Strip as a whole consumes only about 4% of our total water supply. So we have grass in this valley that we drive by at 35, 45 miles an hour every single day that is consuming more water than all of the hotels on the Las Vegas Strip. So this is a sound policy. This is good water policy for us here in Southern Nevada and will really further our water efficiency as a community. You mentioned that there's these programs available to help incentivize homeowners to transition to more native landscaping. Is are there any incentives for these commercial properties other than the law itself uh, to make the change? Yeah, you know, we will continue to offer the uh, cash incentives for these commercial properties to take out that grass. So they'll get $3 a square foot for that first 10,000 square feet and then $1.50 beyond that. Now, we have other incentive programs as well. You know, obviously, with the technology that has moved along with irrigation systems, um, that has been a big benefit to us because every home built here in Southern Nevada has an automated irrigation system. You don't have a lot of homes here where you see the homeowner out there with a hose and a sprinkler moving their sprinkler <laughs> around throughout the day in order to irrigate their grass. Uh-uh. Everybody's got an automated irrigation system. And that actually works to our advantage because when we change seasons and we need the community to change their watering habits going from six days a week in the summertime down to three days a week in the fall and only one day a week in the winter, um, 
it makes it pretty easy for the homeowners to go out there. They just go to that sprinkler clock, adjust the days in which they're watering, set it, and then they're good to go. Now, part of the challenge with that, however, is that sometimes those sprinkler clocks can be uh, a bit of an enigma. And so what we have seen uh, in new technology are sprinkler clocks that are smarter, that connect with your smartphone. Everybody is comfortable you know, operating things on their smartphone, using the apps on their smartphones. And so we provide cash incentives to change out your sprinkler clock to smart irrigation clocks. We also have cash incentives to install uh, leak detection devices. I know that some of these leak detection devices have even sponsored uh, Waterloop, like the Flume. Um, and so these are the kinds of products that we're out there trying to encourage our community to go ahead and, and install through cash incentives. Awesome. Good stuff. What's the reaction been then from uh, the public, you know, to this to this action, to this ban, I guess, especially from commercial property owners? What are you hearing from that segment of the business community? Well, we really worked this process through the Nevada legislature in our last legislative session. And the law was just recently signed by Governor Sisolak, governor of, of Nevada. And throughout the process and working with the Nevada legislature, uh, we were able to show that uh, the business community through our local chambers of commerce, through um, our cities and municipalities, they were all very supportive and even offered testimony uh, during the legislative process to support this type of an effort. You know, I think our business community completely recognizes that we do have a limited water supply here in Southern Nevada. And if they wanna continue uh, to take advantage of this robust and, and prosperous economy that we have here, that they need to be doing their part. And some of them absolutely have. I mean, certainly we've had commercial properties that have taken out grass or that have installed smart irrigation clocks. We just haven't seen it to the level that we need to see it. So really moving this law forward was very helpful in that sense. And again, since the business community has been supportive of it, um, we are of the utmost confidence that over the next five years, they're going to be making those changes in their landscape, and we're going to see some significant water savings as a result. So what happens if you have a compliance issue? Um, you know, if, if a commercial property is just not, not making that change over, I guess the law has got some enforcement mechanisms or fines or that type of thing built into it. Well, the next thing that we really need to do associated with this law is to put together a stakeholder committee. So we're going to put together a nine-member stakeholder committee that's representative of the various sectors within our commercial uh, industries here in Southern Nevada. And they're going to help us to formulate really some more solid definitions around what non-functional turf really means to them so that when we move into the implementation phase, uh, everybody understands exactly what those definitions are, exactly what those rules are, as well as the deadlines. Now, we're going to also have some considerable amount of outreach that we're going to need to do to the business community and to these commercial property owners. And so through that outreach process, we'll be engaging, communicating with them, helping them understand, number one, what the rules are, what the expectation is as far as, as getting that grass removed by the end of 2026. And those that aren't removed as we get a little close to that deadline, uh, that's when we will certainly be uh, initiating additional communication with them so that they understand that they're going to need to remove it. But ultimately, the law indicates that at the end of 2026, water provided by the Southern Nevada Water Authority from our Colorado River water resources 
is not going to be used to irrigate non-functional turf. So by the letter of the law, that would ultimately mean that water service to those landscaped areas could potentially be interrupted. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, back to the positive side. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think you, it's fair to say you all are the first, you know, first entity in the country to take a, a measure like this. Is that accurate? You know, it's the first that we're aware of. I mean, certainly there have been other communities that have put in different kinds of prohibitions on grass or on water use. I mean, I remember as a young uh, a young kid uh, that Tucson, Arizona had some limitations on grass in front yard, and that was back in the 1970s. But as far as any current measures, it really is the first that we're aware of. I mean, we didn't model this after uh, any existing legislation or any existing action. This is something that is purely uh, necessary for us here in Southern Nevada so that we can continue to get rid of that grass that is just drinking, you know, the vast majority of our water supply and make sure that we have reliable and sustainable water resources going forward, especially as we're looking at potential shortages on the Colorado River uh, at the beginning of next year. Well, how do you feel about breaking this ground? How do you all feel about it? I mean, uh, you know, as a as employees at the at the authority and as a community, how do you feel about taking this big step? Is it exciting? You know, that's one of the great things uh, about working for the Southern Nevada Water Authority is that really since the turn of the century, uh, we have been pioneering different conservation measures, different ordinances, uh, and taking different actions in order to further increase our sustainability and our water efficiency as a community. I know that it is a level of pride that we have within the organization. I mean, for instance, we go out and we do water waste enforcement. You know, if we see water flowing off of a property, if we see properties that aren't watering on the right day or at the right time in accordance with our seasonal watering restrictions, uh, we will send a water waste investigator out there and either give that property owner a warning um, or potentially a fine, depending on where they are within the process. And I can tell you that the vast majority of the reports that, that come in to our water waste investigation team they are done by employees. They are done by folks who are, you know, out there doing our customer service activities that are working on the pipes and the pumps and the distribution systems, you know, and and so there is certainly a level of pride that that we all have in the knowledge and understanding that what we are doing as an organization has a direct benefit, not only for today, but for the future of this community that we all love. Yeah. I can imagine you'll be getting phone calls if you haven't already from some other, you know, districts and municipalities, utilities around the country, uh, you know, especially across the West there that, that need to maybe think about taking similar measures. Um, well, yeah. well, one thing to that point, uh, Travis, is that the Southern Nevada Water Authority actually conducts the, uh, excuse me, the Southern Nevada Water Authority puts on Water Smart Innovations, which is Uh, a conference that we do every single year in October. It is the only conference that is dedicated to urban water efficiency. And we attract, you know, folks from throughout not only the water industry, but also through the landscape industry or through the facility management industry. I mean, we're able to bring in 
all of these different sectors uh, of, of the economy that are responsible for some level of water use or water conservation and bring them together for, for a three-day conference here in Las Vegas where we really do share ideas and better understand some of the best practices that are out there for water efficiency. And so it, again, is just sort of a mark on what the Southern Nevada Water Authority has been doing over the past 20, 30 years in order to advance water conservation, not just here, not just in Las Vegas, but also throughout the, the entire water sector. So, yep, we do get those calls. We definitely have those conversations with, with other utilities and other, other uh, water agencies. And quite honestly, we also learn from them, you know, so it's, it's definitely a two-way street. Yeah. Well, I, I, when I worked at EPA uh, in the water office, WaterSense was part of part of the portfolio there, and I know they always were out there at that conference and giving out awards and and everything like that. So, you all were big great time, hosts. yeah, yeah. WaterSense has been a great partner for WaterSmart Innovations, no no question about it. With with EPA, so yeah, that's yeah. that's always been a good partnership. Big fan of that program. Well, I think that there'll be a lot of stats probably bouncing around in my head after this conversation. But I think the one is like you mentioned, these 4,000 acres are really like 10% of the water consumption, right? So if you can reduce your total water use by almost you know 10% out of this initiative, that's massive. That's massive. So, And, and think about this. Removing grass that is in the medians or the roundabouts or lining our streets, or that's at the grocery store, right? I mean, we don't need grass at the grocery store. Getting rid of that grass, replacing that with something that is more water efficient, plants, trees, right? We need trees. We need tree canopies. We need the shade, especially here in this in this Mojave Desert environment. We can't have enough shade. You know, those are such better options for us. And they it doesn't affect our quality of life. You know, it doesn't have a major impact on anybody to make that kind of a switch to be more water efficient. The impact obviously is a, is a benefit on the back end here where, you know, you get additional water savings and that's just more water for the future. You know, one thing real quick in 2002, in 2002, really when the onset of this Colorado river drought began, our community was using more than its 300,000 acre foot allocation. Now we were allowed to do that based on some of the rules and some of the provisions under the law of the river. But that said, we were using more than we were allocated. The drought set in and it was very evident to us that we needed to take some more rigid and more specific steps in order to drive down water use. And that's really when we implemented uh, our progressive and comprehensive water conservation program that we have today, and that has evolved over the past 20 years. But in doing that, we were able to drive down this community's water use. In fact, since 2002, uh, we are now using 23% less Colorado River water. Our community, however, has grown by nearly 800,000 people during that time, and our per capita water use has dropped by about 45%. So we are providing less water to more people today than we did in 2002. And that's just a demonstration of what this community and what Southern Nevada residents have been doing as far as picking up that conservation ball and moving it forward. And now we're giving them another tool with AB 356 and this new law to get rid of decorative turf 
to continue to advance that ball even further. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, I, I mentioned uh, off the recording that I have family out there. Shout out to my brother-in-law, Stephen and Lenny and my little nephew, Nello. Uh, so when I get out there to visit them, I'll have to connect and, and check out some of this native landscaping that's going in and, and the progress you guys are making. So uh, Bronson, well, I tell I, you, I, I, I tell you what, Travis, sorry to interrupt you, but we yeah. get you out here in Las Vegas. You come visit your brother. You let me know. We'll get you over to the Springs Preserve. Springs Preserve mm -hmm. is a 180 acre facility that we have dedicated to uh, the history of water in Las Vegas, water conservation. Uh, we've got a large botanical garden there that serves as a demonstration garden for water efficiency to help customers that are getting rid of that grass to make smart decisions. They can come, they can get inspired at the gardens, they can see what kind of plants uh, they might want to implement or install within their property. So we'd love to have you here and we'll get you over to the Springs Preserve. Sounds awesome. Bronson, I appreciate all the information, sharing your, uh, what you're doing out there and, and your time. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Travis. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Spring Point Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Well, that was pretty awesome, Follow Chris. Yeah, awesome it was indeed. Hey, so you know what next Tuesday is? Um, July 6th. Yes, and that's the kickoff to Water Smart Month. Oh, Water Smart Month. I thought today yeah. was uh, Smart Irrigation Month for uh, the IA. They're doing it on the 6th. So anyway, so as we said, July is Irrigation Month, so less is more when watering your lawn, and watering too much and too often results in shallow roots, weed growth, disease, and fungus. So water long enough to soak down to the root zone, and don't water again until the soil is dry. Good, good notes here. The rule of thumb is if the grass springs back when you set up and stand on it, it has enough water. So you can find other tips at the irrigation.org uh, or go to um, uh, irrigation.org slash SWAT, and I'll give you a whole bunch more information. And this month, uh, and this year, HydroPoint is the sponsor of July for Water Smart Month. So we appreciate that. So, yeah, things are getting hot all over. Uh, water's getting to be scarce. It's going to be uh, a heck of a summer coming up. Well, Chris, we have to tell our customers the best thing that they can do to keep the climate green. In order to keep it green, you've got to help us keep our planet climate blue. Good night, everybody. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, L102.3 FM. Mm -hmm.